Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Villarkis, and I am an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, and of course, your host. So welcome back. I am going to be talking about a topic that's pretty close to me this week, which is how do I know if I have endometriosis? So for those who don't know, I have two Instagram accounts. So I have at the underscore dietologist, which is all about fertility and reproductive health and preconception. And I also have a second account, I know, crazy lady, at endo.dietitian. And that is where I focus all on endometriosis and nutrition and also self-advocacy in the endometriosis space. So if you haven't listened to my season one episode about nutrition for endo, where I explain what endometriosis is and some of the key symptoms and so on, I would really recommend going back and listening to this episode and then hopping back to this one because we're going to go into a little bit more detail about how do you know if you have endometriosis um, and just for those of you who are perhaps on the fence wondering maybe if this is part of your story, but you're not sure you're having a bit of self-doubt or you're having trouble advocating for yourself, then I just really wanted to create this episode so that I could send it to you. Uh, for those of you who reach out to me on Instagram in particular to listen to um, and maybe help you reframe um, and get some answers as well. So just as a brief recap, endometriosis is a chronic disease uh, that is characterized by inflammation Um, and typically the growth of lesions or cysts um, called endometriosis or endometriomas um, in or around the pelvic region, but can also escape and lead to their growth in various parts of the body. Uh, And symptoms are not just, uh, I guess, localized to reproductive health symptoms. They can be very far reaching in the way that they impact us and our bodies. So I wanted to shed some light on those because sometimes people struggle to see the connection because of often the way that endometriosis is portrayed in the media or talked about more generally um, and people that leads to the delay in diagnosis. And I think as a result, uh, that's really a result of rather of that we think that a disease has to tick certain specific boxes to then lead to a diagnosis rather than thinking about it a bit more broadly um, and thinking about how it uniquely presents in each and every one of us, which is truly how this disease is. It is very unique in how it presents in each of us. There are certainly similarities, but it is not a checklist of symptoms. And if you meet all of them, then you have endometriosis. You could have none of them. You could have one of them. You could have something way more obscure that's not on any list at all. And somehow it's correlated to endometriosis. So it is complex, which is 
obviously why on average it takes up to seven years to be diagnosed with this disease, which is just far too long. And hopefully in our lifetime that this significantly improves. So here are just some of the symptoms of endometriosis, painful periods. Now, this may just be you need to take Nurofen when you're on your period. This may mean that you can't go to work or school or university or you can't participate in social events with your friends because of your period. This does not necessarily mean you are passing out or vomiting or can't leave bed. It is an incapacitation of some level to your life on your period. Now, this is not a compulsory symptom of endometriosis. Just because you don't have this symptom doesn't mean you don't have endometriosis. It is a red flag and absolutely if you're passing out or you're vomiting or you can't get out of bed and you have to take a whole week off of work every single month to get through your period, well, absolutely that is cause for concern and should not be um, downplayed or not attended to in any way, shape or form. But I find we often, in my experience, personally and professionally when talking with people, As soon as I bring up the word endometriosis, this is what they think of. And so I wanted to shed light that it isn't always like that for everybody with endometriosis. The next thing is pain during or around ovulation. Again, not a mandatory symptom. None of these are. But this can be a little bit of a red flag for potential endometriosis. Pain during or after sex. Sex should not be painful. And there are a variety of different conditions that can lead to pain during sexual intercourse or after sexual intercourse, um, vaginismus, vulvodynia, and also endometriosis. So there are many different things that you need to explore, particularly if this is your only symptom, but endometriosis should be on the radar. And no, it should not hurt. Just putting that out there once again. Heavy bleeding or irregular bleeding, so having heavy menstrual flow. I think the issue with heavy bleeding, and I was having this conversation with um, some people over the weekend, is it's very subjective. Heavy to who? I guess at the end of the day, you are the only person who has dealt with your own period, and so it's really hard to report. And when people give you milliliter measurements of heaviness, unless you're using a menstrual cup, um, you generally have zero idea about how much milliliters of blood you are actually losing. But I think if you are flooding um, or you can't get through the night without having to change sanitary items and so on, I think that is a bit of a red flag for heavy bleeding and worth investigating. And irregular bleeding. Typically, with endometriosis, there is is quite regular periods, but you may have irregular bleeding outside of your cycle. You might have spotting leading into your cycle or long spotting outside of your cycle or spotting around the time of ovulation. So that's some irregular menstrual bleeding as well. Um, And bleeding after sex as well should be something that you also investigate. The next thing is pain with bowel movements or urination. Now, this does not mean it can be excruciatingly painful to open bowels or urination or when urinating, but those things are absolutely things that you need to get looked at and evaluated. But it could just mean that, you know, it feels a little bit 
more painful when you have a very full bladder or you feel some pain when you are passing a bowel motion or you know you're a little bit more sensitive in those areas so um, I think as well uh, <laughs> thinking about it a little bit more broadly than always using the word pain can be helpful because uh, again pain is a, a subjective experience for each of us Pain more generally in the pelvic area, lower back or legs. Um, Again, this is another bit of a red flag. I've had so many situations where um, clients of mine have been pursuing IVF and and failing, unfortunately, and then getting further investigations into endometriosis just to rule it out. Um, And then realizing that their only symptom was lower back pain and they'd been going for years and years to different chiropractors and and physiotherapists to sort their lower back pain out, um, but it had completely resolved upon the excision of endometriosis. So um, this this can be a, a tricky one because it can be a bit of that referred kind of pain as well. The next one is nausea. Nausea is quite a common experience with endometriosis and it doesn't need to be constant. Sometimes it's around the cycle. Um, So nausea on or during your period or just before your period, that can be common. Uh, And of course, fatigue. Fatigue is one of the most common symptoms of endometriosis and is very, very tricky symptom because in isolation, uh, it can lead you down lots of different rabbit holes. There are many reasons why people can experience fatigue from iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, uh, not enough sleep, lifestyle factors, um, a myriad of different conditions, thyroid conditions, and so on. It is really, really hard for a healthcare provider to diagnose endometriosis with fatigue alone. But I have absolutely seen cases where looking back, the clients say my only symptom was fatigue. And then I found out I had endometriosis by chance. Um, I was having my appendix removed moved and then they found it or something along those kinds of lines. So it is absolutely possible um, to only have this symptom and then have endometriosis. Diarrhea and constipation, so bowel dysfunction. A lot of people with endometriosis experience one or the other or both. Um, And this can be due to just the proximity of endometriosis to the bowel or on the bowel and creating different contractions, um, especially around the time of your period that can then lead to either loose and frequent stools or difficult to pass um, less frequent stools, so constipation. Um, Again, I've seen so many situations where these have just been the symptoms alone, and obviously this leads to a lot of misdiagnosis of gastroenterological problems like um, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, And of course, you want to be screened for things that are sinister related to the bowel, such as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, which we know people with endometriosis are more at risk of. Um, Celiac disease, again, another condition where people are more at risk of with endo, about 17%. Um, And other concerns like bowel cancer can happen in young people. So absolutely, you want to get all these things investigated as well. But As well, we know that 50% of people with endometriosis have IBS, but a lot of people's bowel symptoms do improve upon diagnosis and excision of endometriosis. And so that is a pretty, I guess, in your face sign that it had something more to do with endo than it potentially did your bowel. And then the final 
symptom, not that it's final, but uh, the final major symptom is difficulty falling pregnant or infertility. And so this is probably one of the biggest shocks that people experience and particularly people who had, you know, maybe no awareness of um, endometriosis in their life prior to going through infertility and then finding out they had endometriosis along the way. Um, But a, a good proportion of people have no idea that they have endometriosis until they start to try to fit try to start a family and are having difficulties. And so there is a lot to adjust to in a very short amount of time. So for those who do have a diagnosis prior to maybe thinking about conceiving in your future, if that's an option for you, just be as proactive about your future fertility as much as possible. And I'll get to this a little bit later, but Difficulty falling pregnant is often one of the biggest overlooked symptoms when it comes to endometriosis. I get countless DMs of, I don't have any symptoms of endometriosis. I don't have it. But my partner and I have been trying to fall pregnant for the last two years and we've been unsuccessful. And I just say, well, infertility is a symptom of endometriosis. And it's that reframe of of that, that they go, oh yeah, it is affecting me. It's affecting me. Just maybe I don't have the pain or maybe I don't have the fatigue or maybe I don't have the the bowel dysfunction, but it is affecting me in the sense that I'm having difficulties falling pregnant. And not everyone will have difficulties falling pregnant. It's 30 to 50%, but there are, that that is still a good proportion of people that will. And so we need to reframe this and view this as a symptom of endometriosis and also not let it be the only thing that stops you from investigating other fertility concerns. Like, is there something, for those of you who have a male partner, is there something in their sperm that could be optimized or improved? Because once we start having multiple factors of um, potential ways to impede on starting a family, then you know, we're going to have to look at other strategies. So the, the um, I guess the investigation shouldn't just stop as soon as you find endometriosis or if you go into trying to conceive knowing that you have endometriosis, it shouldn't just stop there. We should be focusing on um, all the general investigations that should be done when there are delays to conceiving as well. Now, I want to talk really briefly on something that's often termed silent or asymptomatic endometriosis, which is endometriosis that is present but isn't presenting itself in any real obvious way. So this could be you just feel fatigued or perhaps you don't have any symptoms at all. Say, for example, um, your only symptom is infertility and often people are quite shocked to find out that they have quite progressed endometriosis stage three or stage four upon laparoscopy surgery and excision. And the reason that this is often shocking is because in our minds, um, the progressiveness of the disease is correlated to the intensity of the symptoms. Um, But that isn't always the case with endometriosis. In fact, you could have a tiny spot stage one of endometriosis and be completely incapacitated by this disease. And there are probably Hundreds and thousands of people walking around with stage four, stage five endometriosis and may not even have any idea that that is what is going on in their body because they don't experience any or very mild symptoms. And so symptom does not correlate to significance of the disease or whether it's important to treat or not. And I think that's incredibly 
powerful information for many people to have because often people go, oh, it's minor endometriosis and and sweep it under the rug. Any endometriosis is important to pay attention to for your health and well-being as well as your future fertility uh, or current fertility. So just a brief note on that. It is still worth being investigated, still worth being diagnosed and still worth pursuing treatment options. Now, getting help. What do you do if you are listening to this podcast right now and you're like, oh, oh my goodness, I really need to get my boots on and start, you know, really tackling this head on because I've thought about it. I I thought maybe this might be my story, but I know I need to pursue this further. So how can you get help? So the first thing to do is definitely go and speak to your GP or primary care physician and make sure you have a trusted relationship with them. I think having some rapport um, or, you know, previous relationship with your GP is really important because endometriosis is very easily brushed under the rug um, and it is very difficult to accurately test for without surgery. And so this is a combination of these factors that can lead to a delays in diagnosis and also um, the lack of education sometimes of some medical professionals in this arena can also really delay medical diagnoses. And if you read the book Pain and Prejudice by Gabrielle Jackson, um, it really documents the history of endometriosis and how it was once perceived by medical professionals as hysteria um, and how that has carried forward into the modern day and is contributing to delays in diagnosis. It's an excellent book. I highly recommend reading it. So uh, with the emergence of new technology, um, particularly sonography or ultrasound technology, there are new scans now available done at specialist practices called deep infiltrating endometriosis ultrasound scans or dye scans. Um, And these scans are generally longer than a regular pelvic ultrasound. Um, They usually got a different kind of resolution and the technicians um, and sonographers and and medical professionals that um, complete these scans and interpret them have a different level of training. And with these scans, what they are really trying to see is any visible endometriosis on ultrasound. So this could be a cystic appearing form of endometriosis. It may also pick up adenomyosis, which is kind of like the cousin of endometriosis that lives in the uterine wall in the muscle layer. Um, It can also potentially detect if your organs have begun to, I guess, become adhered to each other and have adhesions. Um, But if you have kind of diffuse endometriosis kind of everywhere, but not in big chunks, or if it's hiding behind organs and so on, uh, this scan may not pick it up. So just because this scan is negative or is normal uh, does not mean that endometriosis isn't still a possibility. The only way and the goal standard way of being diagnosed is a surgery called a laparoscopy surgery, which is a keyhole surgery, usually three or four incisions um, that are done where a camera is inserted um, and they look in between and inside all your reproductive organs. I know it sounds sounds intense. It is a little um, to see whether there is endometriosis present. Now, because that this is the gold standard way to get diagnosed and obviously nobody wants to go under the knife um, 
without good cause. Obviously, there's risks um, involved with any surgical procedure and the, and the time and the money and the energy invested in recovering and preparing for a surgery is a lot to ask for. But this at the moment is the only way to, to find out. And I think this is probably one of the biggest reasons why there is a delay in diagnosis, because if we could send people off for a simple blood test or a simple scan, I think we would be diagnosing a lot more endometriosis than we currently are, and I think it would reduce delays in treatment quite significantly. I think that's my personal opinion anyway. And, you know, I nearly sucked myself out of going for my own surgery for fear of finding absolutely nothing, but I knew in my mind that I needed that peace of mind of having done it and checking off that last box. Um, And if it wasn't there that I could move on, uh, but if it was that at least I knew that I did everything I could and got to it as soon as I possibly could as well. Now, treatment options for endometriosis obviously are quite varied in their Um, uh, options, but none of them can cure endometriosis and nothing's a guarantee. So there's different ranges of hormonal suppression um, strategies. So um, contraceptive pills, specific types, um, the Marina IUD, um, there's different hormonal suppression um, medications, Zolodex and so on. Um, Obviously, you need to speak to your doctor about what options are right for you. Um, And then we've also got other therapies such as Um, acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, diet and lifestyle strategies to help manage symptoms. Um, We've got psychology. We've got seeing a sexologist if um, sexual pain and dysfunction is is coming into play for you. Um, There are a whole variety of healthcare providers that can help provide support in helping to manage the symptoms so that you can live your best quality of life. Um, And that's what it is all about. At the end of the day, excision surgery Many people will need more than one surgery in their lifetime, but it's about trying to do as few surgeries as possible to minimize scar tissue, um, but also making sure that we are managing it as well as possible so you can live as full and healthy life as possible. So that is how do I know if I have endometriosis and then what the heck do you do about it after that? So I hope that was really helpful for you and informative. And I do urge you to please speak to your GP or primary care physician or gynecologist um, about this if you are concerned. I am not a doctor. I am a dietitian with experience in navigating this with my clients and personally. Um, And so I just wanted to share some of these things to raise awareness um, and to highlight that this is probably more common than what you may think and that help is available, good help is available, and sometimes you need to seek second and third opinions. But I would absolutely just be that little encourager and say, just go for it. Go and get that second opinion. If you feel like you're not being heard, you are the expert of your own body. Listen to it. Now, if you are interested in finding out which of the four most common endo diet types you are, I have a fun quiz for all you endo warriors. Um, And I will leave the link to take this quick and fun quiz in the show notes below. And you will get some tips from me um, customized to your endo diet type via email. So be sure to drop your email at the end of the quiz to get your result and also get some fun tips from 
me about each of your diet types as well. We've had almost a thousand people do this quiz now, which is wild. So I hope that it will be as useful to you as it is for them. Now, if you do have endometriosis or you're on your journey of getting diagnosed with endometriosis, come on over and follow me at endo.dietitian. I would love to connect with you. And if you have any more requests about endo-specific episodes for the podcast, drop me a DM. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 